This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. 
Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it's Bill and Study with Ham McCusick. Still in between week 14 and week 15, we are going to look back at this Chiefs games, but a lot has gone on this week. So we will be talking... Lamar, Joe, and we've got a special guest joining us as Matt Skura joins the program later today. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. Is that a set up for a big enough show for you? Yeah, be fun. I mean, right, great talking to Matt, and we'll uh, uh, we'll enjoy that. Yeah, we got a we got a lot going on, um, and we've got to start it with the the announcement today that that Joe Flacco will be the backup. It's kind of weird. It's not. I guess the announcement is that Lamar will be the starter, but the story is really that Joe is the backup. Right. So that's, I, I think you're right. I think that's the story, that uh, that Joe's the backup. It's the biggest change uh, to the Ravens in quite some time. And uh, starting quarterback changes are organizational decisions that are very large uh, changes to the rudder of the right. ship. So uh, this is a this is a big change. It couldn't be two different, more different stylistic quarterbacks than Jackson Flacco. We and talked I, a lot the last. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was, and I think that's that's a good place to start because we did hear John Harbaugh earlier this week talk about how uh, Joe will be part of the game plan. He's too good of a player not to be. And yeah. now it seems like all right, maybe they tried to make it work and said, you know what, there it's two different styles. Uh, it's not going to work in the same game. Well, I, I'm I'm not sure what to take of it because, you know, this is obviously Wednesday. So this is the first pr- opportunity practice was today. They had the opportunity to talk to the quarterbacks, but that's all they've had a chance to do since the Chiefs game. But, they looked at film too. Yeah, and I'm sure they tried to draw up some simulations, at least as a coaching staff, of how it would look, how we would play it out, how we would get both guys on the field. Right, and probably true. Now, one of the, you know, obviously there's a difference of, getting them both on the field at the same time, which I think was not working. No. I don't think that was a good idea at all, uh, versus the get them on situationally, which right. I think had, shows a lot more promise. And and that's something that I, I kind of had hoped still to see if it was if it was necessary. You know, maybe Joe comes on and they get down two scores. Maybe Joe's needed at the end of a half to run a no-huddle drive, that sort of thing. But I would take, from what I've heard here, I would take it to mean – we're probably not going to see Joe Flacco unless there's an injury. And, and maybe, yes. I think, I don't know. I think John Harbaugh is keeping everything close to the vest, mm-hmm. no matter what. He, he, he decided that rather than ignoring this question for, for three more weeks, he's, after, as he's been ignoring it for two weeks, he decided to, to announce a, star, a starter. I don't know if that means Joe doesn't see the, see, see the ball. For one, Lamar's been hurt for a couple plays in two of his four starts. So that seems like we'll get Joe on the field for a little bit if you're going with that math. Plus, right. plus you see 
quarterbacks yanked and backups thrown in all the time if they are struggling for the for the for the game. Very true. I I think there are a couple of things that make it a a, re- a reason why they felt they had to announce it when they did. And the, the first is that I think they truly are anticipating that Flacco will be active this week, and it's the first time they really expected that to occur because yes. they kind of knew in Kansas City it wasn't going to happen. So once he's active, you have to answer the question immediately, is Joe the starting quarterback? And mm-hmm. w- when he trots out on the field, you know you, you have to really wonder that. Th- I believe they are due to introduce the offense as the starting players this week which may have put some additional pressure on it. It's typically offense first game, defense second game, and then they alternate for the season. And sometimes that gets messed up by some pro bowlers or special teams announcements right. or this or that. So it, it, they may not they may not do the offense this game. They may do the defense anyway. But if they were going to do the offense, I think they really had to decide, do we just announce Lamar as the starter here, which it, they would have felt probably was appropriate, or do we bring both guys on Talk about our Super Bowl MVP quarterback and our first-round draft pick quarterback, uh, who's the starter. I, I would love that. They should, they should have announced them out of the tunnel, side-by-side, holding hands. Let them run out together. <laughs> um, but I think it is. I think it's let's get the drama out of the way on Wednesday. Yeah. Let's take care of it. Let's let everyone ask Joe their questions. Let's let's let all that stuff go in. Let's, let's let Coleman push about the whole Wally Pip situation. Let's let's get it all dealt with on Wednesday. Then we can focus on these games. Joe, complete pro about it. It was great to great to see that. I thought Lamar was very poised as well. Yeah. Uh, they probably had some talking to ahead of time, but they both did extremely well answering the questions. Yeah, and I I mean they all they both also know that that it's been fun to win and and winning makes everyone happy, even if you are the backup quarterback. So and whenever any player who has Throughout this whole, whole process, any player who's been asked about this situation, their all, response is always that Joe has been great with Lamar, that Joe's been helping Lamar. So mm-hmm. I don't see it as we're going to see Joe on Sunday on the sideline with his arms folded, angry that he's not out on the field. People like to read into Joe's facial expressions. I don't think any of us can read into Joe's facial expressions. <laughs> you got to be a pretty good poker player. So, um, all right. So it's Lamar going on, but we're not going to do our Joe Flacco retrospective yet. It's not time to look back at his career and and talk about the good and the bad of Joe yet, right? No, it's that's true. I mean, Joe Joe Flacco currently not not in the past. Joe Flacco currently is on a twenty four and four touchdown to interception playoff streak, and it would be wonderful if he could improve on that this season. I think all Ravens fans would agree, even those who love Lamar Jackson in all situations over Joe would have to realize that Joe Flacco throwing a playoff touchdown would be a good thing this year. So uh, anyway, we, we're not going to do that. We would love to do it during the offseason and, uh, and take some time to really appreciate all that Flacco's accomplished for the organization. But the time, as Josh says, is not quite right yet. Right. And it's not, and it's not the right time to, to bash Joe either. Joe was a very good quarterback for the Ravens. Um, and there were even some major dropped balls in Joe's playoff careers that would have mm-hmm. made him – just a god in Baltimore. He did get one Super Bowl MVP. He had some other opportunities that were missed, not because of his own fault. But we'll get to that in a Joe retrospective. Um, and Sounds hope, good. Hopefully we'll do that, um, I don't know, a couple weeks after we win the Super Bowl. That, that, that sounds fine. We can, we can wait until he gets released. I think that's really the yes. appropriate time. All right, we'll, um. we'll wait for that. So let's, look, let's shift now and let's look back at this game against the Chiefs. 
the offense went in. Offense went in a lot stronger and uh, kept up with the Chiefs like a lot of people did not think would be possible. Yeah, I mean, certainly offense did a lot of what it needed to do in this game. They ran the ball, continued to run the ball effectively uh, 39 times for 198 in this game. Uh, Jackson did his part with 71 yards, and he's still carrying the ball too much. He carried the ball 13 times. Uh, I was very encouraged by the emergence of uh, Kenneth Dixon in this game. Right, yeah. And it seems like it's been that way each week that a different uh, running back has really taken charge. And this week it was Dixon. Yeah, so Dixon uh, didn't lead the team in yards. So he had eight carries for 59, but we saw a hard running style, very physical, break tackles, uh, make progress in level two after contact uh, style that worked very well. And one of the things that's been true about this Ravens team since Lamar has become quarterback is they're running the ball a lot, and they're running the ball for a very high average yards per carry, but they're not getting any long runs. So Jackson had one, I think, for 39 or, or thereabouts. And the longest run otherwise, if I recall correctly, is only 22. The long in this game was 21. Uh, but they're getting you know plenty of nice runs in the 8 to 15-yard range, and uh, and that uh, was part of what Dixon contributed in this game. So he averaged 7.4 yards a carry on eight carries, long of 15. When you can do that, you know you're uh, uh, you're doing it a very low variance way. And as we've talked about these last couple of weeks, that that's uh, more valuable to the offense to do do it that way. Right. And Edwards was also important and used heavily in this game. Uh, no Buck Allen still. He's the, yeah. he's the lone guy out. But, yeah. But Edwards again still strong up the middle. Yep. So Allen has had only six offensive snaps coming into this game the previous three weeks. He did not have an offensive snap in this game, right. not even one. Right. So, just special uh, teams. Just special teams. So it seems like the, the transition has been made. Uh, Ty Montgomery, only a couple carries in this one, uh, so so he didn't have a huge role that way. Uh, he was bigger as a receiver and as a, a pass catching ball, although he only caught one ball for one yard that way too. But I expect he's in there for more pass passing downs and, and is uh, leaned on more as a pass blocker. So the, that's probably how the Ravens are going to use him going forward. Uh, Gus, you mentioned Belkow still 16 for 67 in this one. Uh, they're still using him more or less in a straight-ahead way. It reminds me continuously of Leron McLean. But uh, you know, the running backs all have some complementary abilities, and I think they all have some uh, abilities you can use in certain situations. You got the inside guy, you got the slasher, and you got the outside guy with Montgomery, and uh, it's a lot of complementary and, and slightly different skill sets to, to go with Lamar. Right. We also saw Lamar throwing the ball. It seemed better this week, and maybe a little bit more. And part of that, what came with that, is a lot more tight end use. Yeah, they're they're using the tight ends a lot. Um, obviously, just they're using the tight ends in terms of how many snaps the tight ends get. A lot in total so they're using less of the three wide receiver sets that we saw with Flacco so the tight end snaps this week were 39 Boyle 25 Andrews 22 Williams and 18 Hurst and there's a few things I would take away from that number one is that Boyle is the as their best blocker is really getting used as a sixth offensive lineman in a lot of cases uh, they'll often use him as a uh, eligible receiver uh, kept in the block or a set blocker, as I would refer to it. And uh, that's, a, that's a very common usage for him. Uh, they're using a little over one and a half tight ends per play. They did in this game. The other thing that is, is kind of strange, and we mentioned this briefly on the show last week, is that Hayden Hurst, the number one draft pick, only gets 18 snaps. And that's right. obviously not what we would want to see exactly. No, it's disappointing. And it's something that you hope 
uh, is fixed for next season, and it's not it's not a bust too soon. Yeah, not a, not a busted draft pick. Now, one of the points that, that uh, you know made on Twitter today was that as a 25 year old draft pick, he's already probably only a one contract player with the Ravens. That's the that's the greater likelihood than anything else. So the the onus is greater for him to produce on that first contract than it would be for another player who you're drafting at 22 or 21. And you right. have a developmental period that allows you a likelihood of a second contract, or at least to take advantage of the frictions that can get you a second contract. So when I speak about that, um, you have after three years, you have the option to uh, uh, you know pin a guy down for the fifth year. Obviously, that, right. that's one: the franchise tag, the transition tag. After that, um, and you have the you have the um, ability to try and sign a guy after three years if he's playing very well. Well, if he doesn't play well right away is less of a chance that you're going to be able to pull the trigger on a move like that after three years. So it's 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 a, it's reasonable to be concerned. I do believe Hayden Hurst is going to be a part of the offense going forward, but you know we, we need to start seeing more uh, of him in the game plan on a weekly basis here. Right. All right, let's get to the offensive line. And um, we got 68 snaps this week, not counting any penalties or whatever, just the scored mm-hmm. snaps. That's right. So uh, let's get through those, and you better have given Matt Skura a good grade because we're going to have to talk to him in a, in a little <laughs> bit. But let's start with Ronnie Stanley. Okay, so Ronnie was playing great the whole game, and his game kind of fell apart in the last four snaps. So that's all in the last drive in overtime, and he was he was uh, called for holding, and they caught it pretty clearly on, on camera that he was horse-collaring uh, – Justin Houston uh, on Lamar Jackson's run left. And then the very next play, the Ravens ran a designed QB draw. Now, this was a complex play. Uh, the official the official scorer in Kansas City, I think, got it wrong, probably local uh, homering on the score a little bit. But it was clearly a designed run play. But the play got blown up immediately by the fact that Chris Jones pushed Hurst right back into Lamar. But Lamar had already tucked the ball and was looking like he was running. Stanley had... Um, swiped Houston past him in a manner that was going to be sufficient to allow Lamar to get in front of Houston and get out into level two. So if Hurst had been able to hold the block in either direction, or just, just hold the block and allow Lamar to move by in either direction, he would have been in level two, and Stanley was quickly out front of that play. So that tells you it's not a pass play because Stanley was downfield. And you know, interestingly, and obviously, he got he got caught behind the line of scrimmage and, and taken down. They ruled it a sack. But it looked like it had a really good chance to work on that, I think it was second and 18 play that then ended up being a four-yard sack plus the holding on Hurst that got uh, uh, accepted as just a sack. So anyway, uh, bummer of a play. It re- really is the play most significantly that hurt their chances to win this game, probably even more than Ronnie's hold before that. Uh, for the game, uh, Ronnie was excellent. I mean, the rest of the game, he he was truly terrific. Um, made 61 of his 68 blocks. Uh, he did a lot of, uh, at six blocks in level two, he made both of his pulls. Uh, he made a beautiful highlight pull where he just destroyed Anthony Hitchens to the echo of the whistle. And that, if you look on the on the tape, by the way, number 53, Anthony Hitchens for the Chiefs inside linebacker, right. took an unbelievable number of extended level two blocks in this game from the Ravens lineman. He is, he, I'm sure slept well on Sunday night. Let's put it that way. 
and uh, Stanley had a had a, an easy time with him on that uh, on that time. Anyway, 0.76 per play adjusted. It's a B. Um, he, he's clearly showing week after week he's the Ravens' most athletic lineman, able to get downfield um, and make those blocks. Uh, those are going to be ones that help Lamar Jackson and will complement Lamar Jackson well uh, as time goes on. All right. Were you surprised that James Hurst got this start on Sunday with Lewis Hurt? Um, not really. I, I did expect he'd be the one. I, I, I wasn't 100% sure Lewis was going to miss the game until later in the week. Right. But after his DNPs, it was pretty clear, did, did not practice, um, it was pretty clear that he was not going to be there on Sunday. And then I thought, you know, between Hurst and Bozeman, I thought it was more likely that they would bring Hurst back in. Uh, you know, I think what we saw from Hurst, part of, part of, I, I want to start by saying, I hope this was just a mulligan game and not one that is indicative of some lingering injury concerns. Cause he, he had a, he had a hard game, a difficult game against a very top opponent. So uh, he was, it was up against Chris Jones and oftentimes Ravens fans or any fans for that matter don't really know the opposing defensive linemen unless they're divisional opponents. Maybe you see him pretty frequently, but Chris Jones, one of the best defense, young defensive linemen in the entire NFL. He's got 11 and a half sacks right now, sacks in nine consecutive games, which he did mention on the broadcast. And uh, he just forklifted Hurst all over the field in this game, frankly. He, he bowled him at will, and uh, he Hurst uh, fought with him, certainly, but he, but he was guilty of holding him twice. Uh, a couple other pressure events, a third of a sack. Um, that was almost all of the damage done against Hurst in this game was by Jones, but but it was plenty. Uh, anyway, as I worked out the scoring, Hurst allowed 2.83 pressures. You wonder how I get to a number like that. That's two plus a half plus a third. So it's four separate events. A third of a sack, two offensive holding calls, uh, 0.50 per play. And even after adjustment, which I gave him a significant adjustment for playing Jones, he's still 10 points short of passing. So uh, not the game we would have liked from Hurst coming back. And once again, I hope it's not indicative of any lingering injury situation. All right. All right. Now, don't grade this on a friend curve, but give me the true stats for how Matt Skur did on Sunday. No, we got to be honest or we'd, we would lose any objectivity here. But uh, he's he's been playing solidly the last four weeks. Uh, he's had an a, uh, a, a to a B every one of those last four games. Um, he surrendered half of a sack. He shared it with Yonda when he was bowled by Jones. It was early in the first quarter, so that was that was Jones' actual sack. He had three other partial pressures. Uh, so two came when he was bowled by uh, Derek Nanadi, I believe is, is how you pronounce his name. It's NNADI, the, the defensive tackle for the Chiefs, who's a, a fine run defender. Um, he had two missed blocks, and both of those were in level two. So you can miss a block at the line of scrimmage, and that's that can be really bad and costly. Or you can miss a block in level two, and generally speaking, you might miss an opportunity, but it tends to be less costly okay. in terms of in terms of yards. So that's that's how I differentiate those two. Um, he did fail to find a block on his only pull. Uh, he did have three nice highlight blocks in this game. One of them was a combination block uh, to set up uh, Nadi and then move to level two to block Hitchens. And again, that's Anthony Hitchens, number fifty-three, taking all kinds of abuse from the Ravens lineman in this game. So uh, a B for Skur in this game uh, when you wrap it all up, including adjustment. Right. All right. Uh, Marshall Yanda. He had, seemed like he had a good game. Uh, solid performance. Uh, not his best of the year, but, you know, most most offensive linemen would love to have it for a game. Uh, he, he was up against defensive tackle Allen Bailey, number 97, for a lot of this game. Uh, one of the problems he had, he got, he got bold. Uh, on an early play, and it was Jones's sack, but he really helped the phone booth get 
uh, sorry, the pocket, get phone boothed by the bull rush that Bailey put into him. And uh, the, the man eventually slipped off Skura. Jones slipped off Skura for the sack. But Yanda's equally responsible in terms of what happened to the phone, but what happened to the pocket and Lamar bringing the ball down and whatnot. So uh, that one was split. Uh, he had uh, three blocks in level two, had a pancake. He came off a game where he had seven highlights last week. So Yanda was just making all sorts of blocks in right. level two, nice combinations. Uh, none of that this week. Uh, so he was he was held back a little bit, but uh, did score a B after adjustment and uh, solid performance. It's his third worst game of the entire season is a B. So that you're a pretty you're a hell of a lineman if that's if that's your third worst game. All right, uh, yeah, he's a guy maybe that should be getting some Pro Bowl and Pro Bowl votes right there. I I think he probably is. All right, Orlando Brown's got all of our eyes, all of our attention every time he's on the field, and you gave him an A this week. Yeah, outstanding game from from Zeus. Um, is his best career game to date. So uh, he was up against one of the NFL's most productive pass rushers. That's D Ford, number fifty five. If you're watching the tape, but he's been a terror this year so far. And he really held him more or less in check. Uh, he did miss a couple of blocks where Ford beat him inside or beat him outside, but the ball was out already out quickly. Those end up being zeros instead of ones, but they don't they, they don't end up being a negative number. Uh, in terms of pressures, he only allowed one and a half to Ford in the game, which is terrific uh, for for as many snaps as it was. Uh, he made 61 of his 68 blocks. Uh, he had three really nice highlights, and and you know highlight highlights out of tackles tend to be less because they do less interacting with the other linemen. So one of the things I like to see when I give out a highlight block is someone either maintaining a block for a long time, uh, executing a combination block, executing a really nice stun handoff, uh, maybe passing off or, or bailing out somebody with a slide block or a, uh, um, you know, a, a pin and turn, as, as I call it sometimes. But they're, I like to see some sort of interaction, generally speaking, with another lineman. Brown did it a couple different ways. He, he got to Hitchens quickly in level two and drove him back five-plus yards on uh, Edwards' run. Um, he helped – this is one of the most impressive – blocks of the year probably in terms of a player being part of two big interactions but he helped yonda pancake nanadi at the line of scrimmage and uh, which set up skura to push down the defensive tackle bailey on top of that pile then brown continued to level two and pushed hitchens back 10 plus yards all the way to the echo of the whistle watch that play if you would it's q3 13 19 take a look at that play whether you have game pass or need to go to your recording of the game whatever it might be pleasure to watch that play and, and brown's physicality really set up the whole thing ended up with three defenders taken out of the play entirely uh so it's a entertaining play to, to to watch more than once anyway terrific terrific game for brown as you mentioned in a uh i love the way brown is finishing blocks right now the contact of the whistle is apparent we talked about it last week he missed 13 blocks a lot of that was a failure to find work in level two. He cleaned up a lot of that this week in terms of really going after people actively in level two. I'd love to see that. Um, uh, physicality on the edge is terrific. I think you know he has the ability to tire down these pass rushers in a way uh, that is really nice. He did allow a, a half a pressure in this game where he pancaked somebody into the pocket. He pancaked Ford into the pocket. And that's the kind of thing that you don't realize just how tiring pass rushing is, but all defenders always talk about just, you know, having to get up and then try and rush the quarterback and get by this monolith of a man like, like uh, Zeus is. 
is, is just very difficult play after play. And uh, it'd be kind of like trying to lift the same very large weight many times over. Uh, you know, you just you run out of gas to do it uh, quite quickly. So uh, Brown's really using his physicality and his size well, and, and that's, uh, I'm sure, going to be a very exciting part of his game. And he is one of the players with Lamar Jackson at quarterback that is going to have to be central to however the Ravens, far the Ravens go this year. Well, and beyond this year, uh, we hope that as Brown continues to play well and Lamar continues to play well, that these guys are going to be attached together for years uh, on that line. Very much so, yes. The best thing you can have is a is a young line for a young quarterback. Yeah, true that. And they've they've got they've got two young linemen to work around. They've got Yonda, you know, the the veteran. I think they'll probably draft somebody. Matt Skura is still only a third year player next year, so a lot of exciting youth on that line. Right. And then uh no injury issues on Sunday, health wise for the line. So Bozeman only came in for one snap. That's right, just one snap. Unfortunately he missed it. It was on a fourth and one play, so it did have an impact on the game. Um, he's he's generally he's played very well and uh, and hopefully uh, we're going to see more of him whether it's uh, in a role where he's filling in for someone as an injury or whether he competes for a role next year whatever that might be so uh, you know I have high hopes for Bradley one guy who who we lost today and then you you may or may not have heard this but Nico Siragusa was claimed off the off the practice squad by the Packers so yeah. that's a that's I think a big developmental loss for the Ravens. He was a guy they had as a, a fourth-round draft pick coming out of San Diego State last year, a guy they had high hopes for as being a, a highly physical guard, potentially even a center, and uh, it's it's always tough to lose a backup like that. But they knew they were kind of playing with fire. They had eight offensive linemen only on the roster. Uh, could have had a ninth to protect the extra offensive linemen for the longer term. Uh, they, they decided to have Illuminor on the roster, so he's protected. Um, and and not Siragusa. So I, I, he he was exactly the kind of player. Both of them were, in fact, that the longer they stayed on the practice squad, the more likely it was going to be that somebody would take them. And unfortunately, the, the Packers are now into the game of knowing the season is over and deciding, hey, we're going to take this lineman for next year as opposed to this year. Right. Yeah, no, Packers are definitely looking ahead, and that's what you do. It's, it's what the Orioles are doing. You've got to move forward. All right, let's get Matt Skur on the line, and let's get really nerdy and really deep into what it means to play center in the NFL. All right, this is a little different segment because normally about whenever we're looking by the offense, we'll get to one guy, and it seemed like for the first six weeks I was always introducing this guy to discuss as saying, well, he's still holding down center. He's still doing a good job there. This time we get to actually talk with him. So joining us is Matt Skur. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Really appreciate having you on, on Matt. Excited to talk to you about the center position. And uh, let's talk about your background a little bit. You you came out of Duke. Uh, you were a center. You played center there, or did you play other positions as well? Uh, I was primarily center. Started at center for three years, and then uh, played like a little left and right guard. Um, my redshirt freshman year is kind of just a reserve role. And saw a little bit of time there, but uh, nothing too significant. All right. All right. Terrific. Now, at the NFL level, again, you've had an opportunity to play both some center and some guard. And uh, you tell us about that a little bit in terms of the differences between these positions. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's one of the big things coming into the NFL you got to kind of realize is um, you're going to have to be able to play multiple positions. And, um, you know, you kind of have to prove that to everyone else and your coaches that you can play just one position and be really good at it. So, um, 
yeah, getting to play guard was a really good experience. I think it helped me really learn our offense a lot better. You see the ball from a different angle um, instead of just being at center where you're just helping out the guard. Now you're at guard, you're helping the center and the tackle. Um, so for me, it was just kind of eye-opening getting to see um, how that all works. And, you know, last year playing right guard was huge for me. And um, I would say the biggest difference is I think just playing in more space at guard. Um, center, if there's a guy on you, he's usually pretty close to you. And, you know, you get his, your hands on him pretty quick. Whereas guard, um, a guy already is, you know, a yard or two off the ball at least. Uh, sometimes you're even setting on defensive end, depending on the defense. So um, I would say that was the biggest difference for me at guard, especially in the past game, um, just playing in space and reacting in space. Okay, great. So one of the big things that the center needs to do, of course, is pick up the blitz on, on uh, time and be able to handle those stunt handoffs. Maybe explain a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, a big thing for centers, just kind of getting everyone on the same page. Um, I think – you know, for those really like third down um, and medium and long situations where, you know, uh, a D-line and a defensive coordinator might really want to dial up some, you know, blitzes that they think they can really get after the quarterback. And so the biggest thing for me is getting everyone on the same page, identifying who is a down lineman, who is a linebacker, um, identifying who's a known rusher or a known blitzer, and making sure that we're all seeing the same thing. Um, and, you know, it's makes it, you know, obviously more difficult in the road situations, making sure that um, everyone's on the same page. But, yeah, um, identifying the blitzers once we do that. And then, um, you know, then the next part comes with actually uh, picking up the blitz, making sure you pass off your twists, making sure you flatten out uh, a penetrator so that he doesn't pick your guard or your tackle. So, um, Tell me what you happened. mean by that. That's something that's new to me. Flatten out your guard. Flatten out your penetrator. Right? Yeah. So say if I have like a nose tackle on me and he like crosses my face and um, the three technique on a guard also is like looping around to the opposite a gap. So you kind of have like a two man twist. Mm -hmm. um, so the nose will be the penetrator and he's trying to actually pick the guards hip and get to the quarterback. Um, and so what we try to do is, I think, me personally and a bunch of guys in the league as well, um, you want to flatten out that guy so the guard has kind of like space and time to recover, and then it makes it easier to kind of pass off that twist. And then it's easier, it makes it actually easier for me as well um, to get onto like a second defender who's trying to wrap around late. Uh, it's definitely easier said than done because um, – some guys, you know, make their whole living off of being the guy who's able to pick a guard or tackle or even a center really well. And uh, guys who are big and strong. So when I think of those kind of guys, and you probably went again against them in practice a lot, I, I think of Jernigan like, liking to be the underneath guy on that twist as opposed to the looper a lot and really having a lot of physicality to try and, and push back, get shoulders turned, and, and make it difficult to get that twist handoff handled yeah. properly yeah definitely guys who are very explosive like that very quick off the ball um, make it even tougher so um yeah he, he's definitely great uh Zedarius smith um he's another great example he's a tall lean explosive guy who 
uh, can get to your hip, can get to, can get to your edge really quickly. So, uh, um, yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of good pass rushers. Okay. All right. Something we talked about in our brief production meeting was about timing. And I want to take the audience back a little bit to uh, about the 2010 and 11 seasons when the Ravens played a game at Pittsburgh and Michael Orr uh, in that game had an incredible ability, it seemed, to get off exactly as the ball was snapped by Matt Burke. And it was a game that the uh, the Ravens eventually won. There are a couple of false starts. The Steelers fans really thought they should have gotten where Orr was uh, one or two thirtieths of a second ahead. And I say one or two thirtieths because you can use your DVR on CBS, which is broadcast in 1080i, to, to go ahead one thirtieth of a second at a time. So oh, we have that really? mechanism. Yeah, we have that mechanism to times. So it's kind of cool. Um, but but anyway, the uh, uh, he had he had beaten the snap count slightly, and occasionally he was right behind it. And you learn in driver's ed that you really can't react to things you see any quicker than about 0.17 seconds. So I, if, I'm wondering if you could just give us any kind of look about inside football and how that that cadence kind of works. Yeah. So big part of uh, silent cadence is you know everyone kind of anticipating the snap count. Um, and kind of being able to instinctively uh, understand when the ball is going to be snapped. Um, it's definitely hard from as you get further away from the center. So at guard, it's pretty easy to see the ball. And, you know, you can focus from your peripheral vision uh, on the ball and also kind of see where your guy is at the same time. Um, a tackle is a lot more difficult. Uh, guys kind of use their own techniques to see the ball uh, I would say like uh, Bakhtiari of the Green Bay Packers you know his head is completely turned inside looking at the ball and he's just someone who is able to take his first kick step get his head turned back around and still make the block um, and that's just something that is practiced over and over again so for us when I'm doing CQ exchange with Lamar if we're on the road I bring all the offensive linemen with me and we're, you know, working on our snap cadence and making sure that everyone's just essentially on the same page and uh, that my rhythm and timing is okay. And that, you know, during the practice, all the reps we're getting are going to be in silent. And then once it comes to game time, uh, all of us are, you know, kind of all on one string. We're kind of uh, going off at the same time, you know, getting maybe even that quarter millisecond jump uh helps a lot and whatever it takes to kind of get that edge over the d line because you know they're playing at home they're trying to pin their ear, ears back so yeah no that that part of the cadence is definitely very interesting something maybe probably fans don't don't get to see or know about but it's definitely a, a cool part of the game yeah i, I definitely I, I hope people will appreciate that that's a great explanation of it um, I, I wanted to kind of go through a little bit about your own personal game because it seems like a lot of what you do, in, in my opinion, is not really reflected in the PFF ratings in particular. And I know as an offensive lineman, there aren't a lot of places you can go to get information or grading for yourself. And it's kind of a PFF world we live in now after uh, Collinsworth has bought the group and they're they're doing what they do. But right. if, you, if you, one of the things that PFF does is that uh, players who are handling their responsibilities in unison don't generally get credit for them. They also have some other things that I don't agree with methodologically. But the big thing is that if you 
tie your block, I'll call it, or if you have a what they call a stale relationship in the block, that you don't get credit for it. And yet the, there's real true value to that in the NFL. And not realizing it is a big mistake and tends to magnify what you're what you're missing on other uh, plays. So anyway, what I wanted to point out is that a lot of your game seems to really be a supporting role for a lot of the other linemen. You're in a lot of times you're picking up the guy left behind when when Yonda slide blocks to help the tackle. You pick up when he goes to level two for a combination block and vice versa. It, right. it could be either way. Uh, tell us a little bit about that in terms of maybe let's start with with how people move to level two and what how you know that a block is successfully pinned or left behind for the for the uh, the trailing offensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a big part of that is just like chemistry and getting reps uh, during practice. I know it's not maybe like the most exciting answer <laughs> ever, but uh, um, I think, you know, working with Marshall, working with James, working with Alex um, every day, you know, we're working on those combinations and we're always talking to each other too, communicating during practice like, hey, like next time let's try hanging on this block a little longer or next time just give me a go call like Marshall Tut Matt, just tell me go and I'll go. And so there's always communication um, between us. Uh, usually it's a lot of times actually after every single play or sometimes even during the play um, telling each other, you know, hey, let's feel this out a little bit differently the next time um, because they're playing us, a defensive line is playing us heavier or he's playing into either the guard, center, or tackle a little bit more. Um so, yeah, it's all those uh, little fine details that we go over in practice. Um, and also just you just get experience through it through the game. Um, you can a lot of times you can feel when uh, a defensive lineman has gotten reached and I can take over the block or um, I feel like the guard has taken over uh, a block and I can climb up to the linebacker. And it's just all through experience Um and, you know, it's just a feel for the game. And if something, you know, let's just say it just doesn't go right, um, you're able to communicate with those guys and uh, get it right the next time. Okay. So interesting, the concept of a go call. I should have figured out that there was probably some verbal signaling going on there or otherwise. I, I always felt it probably was something about feel that – the, you know, Yanda moving to level two would know like when he felt a player was maybe off balance or you were centered up on him and be able to do it. But you can talk to each other. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sometimes we just even shove each other. Um, like if I feel like a shove from Marshall or a shove from James or someone, um, that also, too, is just like an indicator to either uh, move or, you know, just get, move somewhere else where you're supposed to go. So, um, yeah, it's just like little things that, um, I guess you'd probably have to like watch the film and see, but like, uh, you know, you could see like sometimes we just push each other and we get into the right position. So it's kind of funny how that all works. Okay. Outstanding stuff. I want to ask you about something else because I think the Ravens offensive line coaches have probably been underappreciated for years, certainly around the league, but coach D uh, I always appreciate coming to camp and watching him practice with you guys and the way he sets you up because he's very much an individual rep guy. So he's got only a few of you out there watching on a rep. He wants everybody to to watch it. And then he always seems to have the same kind of reaction to it afterwards. It's, great, great, let's do it again. <laughs> Tell me about a little bit about what it's like working with him. Yeah, no, he's a great guy. And uh, he definitely has that old school uh, mentality where we're going to work hard every single day. Uh, every day is a work day, and, 
you know, we're not going to do something. We're going to do something until it's done right. And, you know, you might do it five times in a row, but until your footwork, your hand placement, uh, your pad leverage is right, then you can stop, get your water, and then watch the next guy do it. Um, so I think that's been uh, a great part for great beneficial part for us as an offensive line. Um, you know, he kind of gives us that mentality of, you know, I want to say tough guys, but just being mentally tough throughout the game and being able to wear people out um, definitely reminds me of like my college coach because he was just very similar, just very like uh, hard nosed, wants us to succeed so much that he wants us to do so well and he's going to push us uh, to our limits. And I think that's what you need to know, like coach, um, someone who's going to want to take you to that next level and expects a lot out from you. Um, so yeah, every day, every practice, um, we definitely go out there with the mindset to get better. Um, we want to find something individually and as a group that we want to work on. And uh, we usually, we do that. And so I think that's been a really big part and a really big help for us. All right, all right, fantastic. Now, it's not always clear to Ravens fans exactly who's coordinating the run game. I think Roman may have the title and that, but then I also see Morningweg sometimes taking individual reps against the linemen to see what he's doing. I remember Alex Lewis was taking some snaps at center this summer, and and uh, he went right over to him and, and asked him to block him and was chastising him about something. I'm not sure what. But tell me a little bit about, about who's – Who's got the input or who, who really directs the running game and how that is, is formulated? Um, I wish I could tell you because I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, just because all the coaches, you know, they're all mic'd up and everything. Um, I would think it's just like a group effort. Um, I mean, I think it's everyone uh, kind of giving their input. And, um, you know, I think Greg, and Marty worked together all week, you know, in meetings. We're always run game, pass game. Um, we're always meshing that together. Um, well, see, that, yeah, that, I mean, that's the right answer yeah. because they want you to think they're all on the same page. They all have one <laughs> message for you. So that's the right, right. answer. Yeah, they, they, do a great, they do a great job of uh, making a scene that way. So I'm sure – I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to call a game in the NFL – uh, I'm sure it's chaotic and things are, you know, situations, this and that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they both. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Okay, well, that's cool. Let, let me just let me get to something more specific then. There's been a lot of two-man concepts, two-man pull concepts that have come out recently, more, more so with Lamar on the field, where the, a lot of left guard, left tackle pulls to the right specifically. And when that happens, it seems like the run game is much more complicated. Obviously, the pulling responsibilities are complex in their own sense. But also what you have to do in terms of fanning out towards the left side seems to be more than, than it would otherwise be. Can you kind of give us a sense of, of the level, the degree of difficulty in the, in the blocking schemes now versus before Lamar became quarterback? Uh, I mean, I would say the difficulty is it is truly the same. I mean, the only thing is, though, the angles that we're blocking are different. Um, and also the way the defenses are reacting to us are different. Um, you know, I think uh, defensive ends and defensive tackles are, I wouldn't say they're reluctant, reluctant to, like, get penetration. But at the same time, like, a defensive end, 
they don't want to penetrate up the field and then realize Lamar has kept the ball. Or, you know, I feel like linebackers are playing us differently now. I feel like they're um, staying a little bit more frozen in place because if you overreact to the run for Gus, then you might be underreacting for Lamar actually keeping the ball for a big play. Um, and yeah, in, in some of those back blocks, um, sometimes you got a back block all the way to a three technique, a four eye, and you just kind of have to uh, make it work. And, you know, I think a lot of times too, you know, Lamar works his magic. Um, he's a guy who um, has ran this system for a while uh, in college and now he's doing it in the pros. Um, and yeah, so he kind of makes guys miss. He guys makes guys uh, doubt. And, you know, for that one second, those guys were like, oh, wait, I think he might have the ball. Uh, that's one second that you need to uh, get your block. So um, I think it's just been a really interesting uh, to see how defenses have been playing us differently, um, seeing how each week uh, what each team tries to do schematically to um, put us in different spots and try to challenge us, which has been really fun, actually. All right, very cool. Now, one last thing. I think this was a little bit light, but maybe I'm misinterpreting it. I noticed there's been a whole bunch of these Pro Bowl promos, Pro Bowl vote promos sent up by the Ravens, and you sent up a slightly off-brand one <laughs> earlier tonight. Now, I'm happy to promote that for you. Uh, how did that come about? Um, I don't know. I, I was just kind of uh, – I just saw a bunch of guys, you know, retweeting, and not even from the Ravens, just like in general um, – you know, the Pro Bowl, like vote Pro Bowl stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make my own. And uh, <laughs> I just went on my uh, photos app and just like colored in a bunch of the background as best as I could and added some text. So I, I thought it was kind of funny, but hopefully, you know, maybe I'll get some a few votes out of it. Who knows? We'll, we'll see if we can generate some of that for you with some work on Twitter here. Uh, Matt, fun. really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for taking the time. You're welcome anytime for a segment. Appreciate it, guys. This was Thank awesome. You. Have a good night, guys. You too. All right, so, Ken, that was awesome. Uh, booking you got to get a skirt today. I loved his final answer because we didn't even have to ask, well, what's the difference between Lamar and Joe? He shared it immediately with the defenses look at you different, the defensive come at you different. And it's also that every defense, he seemed to speak to every defense has also looked different coming in so it, it it's got to add some new life and excitement to our offensive line with it not being stale and boring yeah I I, I think it would be very fun to play there I mean it's got to be fun just to, to play as a run blocker a lot of the time I would think that would be very fun to play offensive line I, I remember watching the Super Bowl where the Hogs beat Denver 42-10 and thinking about that and they didn't have much to talk about in the broadcast booth because you know the game's way out of hand right. and I, I think it was Timmy Smith ran for over 200 yards in the Doug Williams Super Bowl. And, you know, a bunch of guys basically who, who were not the most talented players, let's say, uh, had huge games. And the point of this was that the Hogs had just completely dominated the line of scrimmage. And I think it was Deerdorf doing the game. It wasn't Deerdorf. It was another offensive lineman. And he said that, you know, there's nothing more fun than going back to that huddle play after play and just look at each other and say, you know, we own this line of scrimmage. And it's just, you, you've owned the thing the entire day. And play after play, you know, you can get that. And you can move guys wherever you want them. And you can get to the second level, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a great 
little bit of inside football there. And I love hearing all this stuff from Matt in terms of uh, the cadence and, uh, you know, you know how – how you have to flatten a player out on a twist. Great information. You know, something I probably should have known already, but but terrific that he can explain it so well. The the simple answer that they talk to each other while the play's going on makes all the sense in the world, except watching the game from afar and on TV, they just you just look like, oh well everyone's just running into each other. No, there's no communication. Right. Clearly there is. You just don't think of it as a fan. Right. Yeah. I mean I, I, another thing is like I'm always thinking like they're they're playing an arcade game when they're making a block and they've got two guys in there and one guy's trying to hit the fire button while the other guy's working the joystick and then one of them bumps off the guy on the fire button because he wants to control both and that means he's got the block on that on that video right. game there. That's kind of what I think of when he when he says he bumps Yanda off that. Well, uh, no, I, I love that answer too because he's saying, oh well, we, I just know when he bumps into me. There's there's. Ten guys, they're all running into each other, and you know this is the one where it, that bump means you hand off. Yeah, that's it's, the one he's looking for. Anyway, right, that's exactly. The big one. Um, all right, and yeah, and I think we do. We talk about uh, Romo kept pointing out about how the quarterback sees our defense coming in and is confused and doesn't know what they're doing. And now with Lamar back there, there is that excitement uh, that the defense, on the other hand, is surprised and looking and waiting to see what Lamar is doing. So that's definitely part of what's supercharging this this team, this offensive line, and uh, helping us to be in these games that no one expected us to be in, like the Chiefs. And because of that, let's go look ahead. Uh, we still got a good chance at the division. I can't believe we're still talking about that. But let's look at games we need to watch, root for, playoff scenarios, all that stuff for this weekend. So, yeah, so, I mean, we'll start with the obvious here. It's it's The schedule sets up nicely for this. This is what I really love to have happen, even though it cuts into my analysis time a little bit after the game. But we have a 1 p.m. game. There's a not, a not a 4.15 or a 4.05 or whatever else it might be. It's a 4.25 game with the Steelers. So if the Ravens can take care of business against Tampa Bay, and we certainly hope they can, then we get to run home and only be a few minutes late for the start of the Steelers game hosting the Patriots, right, I which hope, is... I assume CBS will be covering that game here. Uh, yeah, I hope if, so. Uh, I, yeah, let's see. I don't I don't know what the rules are, but anyway, right. if you don't have, if you don't have DirecTV and a Sunday I mean, ticket, you, right. I don't know which how you get it. That's that's the big game of the week right there. I, I think CBS is going to want it. Okay. Well, let's hope so. So anyway, if you're looking at the, the, the degree of importance of wins here, other than the Ravens game, which is the highest, of course... Um, the win over the, the New England beating Pittsburgh is the most important thing. It involves several different items we're going to get to in terms of the additional chances for the Ravens to make the playoffs somehow. But New England, uh, as it stands right now, is a one or two point favorite over Pittsburgh, slightly better than a 50 percent chance to win that game by the money line. Money lines don't win games, of course. Offensive lines and defensive lines do. We'll wait and see where that uh, where that goes. But that's the highest right. importance game of, of the week by far. One of the rare times when uh, Baltimore roots for Tom Brady. There you go. So all right, um, all right. So then, what about? So that takes care of the division. But there's a whole lot of stuff we talked about last week that, because of how things played out, the wild card has a whole lot more going on. So what do we root for? Root against yeah. Sunday. Yeah, most most of the games are pretty obvious in terms of we want one winner or the other, but this one is not. And it, the big one is Denver at Denver and Cleveland. I actually forget where they're playing, but I think the Ravens will prefer to have Denver beat Cleveland. For one thing, it eliminates Cleveland 
from any kind of consideration for the divisional or wild card races. And that actually could be a pretty significant problem if the Ravens go into week 17 and what, what the Cleveland Browns are still in the division race. If the Steelers lose the next two games and the Ravens win exactly one or zero of the next two games. And that is, believe me, the last thing we want as Ravens fans is a motivated Browns team, a more motivated Browns team coming into week 17. Tony Grossi is going to be able to whip them up into a into a fury over the fact that they're you know they have the chance to deny Baltimore a playoff spot as it is. But <laughs> but, but if you want to go further than that, I've been telling you, you that's the game that scares me is that week seventeen yeah. Cleveland. Well, it should. I mean, they're they're a good young team and and they have uh, certainly the possibility and and it would be the story in the NFL for them to make the playoffs. So you got to be worried about uh, you know how that uh, you know the risk of that playing out just is uh, is very real. So anyway, hopefully that will not be a, uh, a situation. And that could end with Denver winning in this game. Now, that's a little bit dangerous because Denver getting into, t- into a tie with the Ravens can spoil at 9-7, and seven, say, can spoil some uh, tiebreaker situations where the Ravens would otherwise win by creating a three-way tie where they don't have a head-to-head win against each. So I, I, I'm hopeful that that doesn't happen. I think the Ravens are generally better off if Denver wins that game against Cleveland. It also is a strength of victory addition for the Ravens. That shouldn't matter because they also have one. We'll need to get one over Cleveland, but it is a strength of victory game as well for uh, to, to get immediately. Okay. All right. Um, then outside of the division, it's uh, the Colts we want to lose. Colts we want to lose to Dallas, still in the wild card race. Uh, same thing with the, with the Giants. And Tennessee, those games both, you know, I'd probably put them approximately equal in terms of the uh, of significance. Uh, Dallas really, uh, so Indianapolis cannot win a tiebreaker against the Ravens at ten and six, but they sure as hell can outright them ten and six to nine and seven. So I'm probably more concerned about that game. I, I think it's more important that Indianapolis loses a key game that, that they might have difficulty with. But if right. they do lose it, they they uh, uh, the Ra- they, they Ravens and Indianapolis at nine and seven could still go to Indianapolis if they win exactly one of their sorry it, it, yes uh, if it falls to the strength of victory tiebreaker. Gotcha. Now the uh, the miracle in Miami kept the Dolphins in the wild card race for a little bit longer. Yes. So yeah, they're certainly in the wild card race. They face Minnesota this week. Surprisingly, this doesn't have that much of an impact on the Ravens' chance to beat the Dolphins in a tiebreaker because it's an NFC game. Uh, losing this actually creates a situation where Miami won't lose the conference record tiebreaker. If they win it in some ways, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't make that much of a difference. It is one more win in the standings, and they can certainly outright the Ravens more likely. But in terms of, of getting the tiebreaker done, it doesn't, it doesn't help them by as much. The thing that a Miami loss will do is it has a big potential impact on the Week 16 Chargers game. Now, what's the ideal situation under which the Ravens would like to play the Chargers in Week 16? Oh, they well, lock it all up. They, they, they want the Chargers to have their, their spot locked up. And unfortunately, they won't have their seed specifically locked up. Uh, I don't think that can happen now, but they could have their spot locked up. So the way that'll happen is San Diego actually has to lose the game to Denver, which eliminates them from the divisional race, and that could be Thursday. And then on Sunday, um, there are three different paths that allow the Chargers to clinch their wildcard spot. Um, They involve 
three different elements. I'm going to explain each of them, but it can be any two of these three. One is Miami losing. The second is Pittsburgh losing. And the third is the combination of Indianapolis and Tennessee losing. So that's less likely, obviously, that both of those would lose. So the, the most likely path by far is that the Steelers and Miami both lose will and the Chargers losing already will lock up the spot for the Chargers before the Week 16 game. And I think the Chargers will still be motivated to play for seed because the 5 and 6 seed can potentially play each other in the AFC Championship game, and the Chargers would want to be playing that game at home. But on the other hand, if you have some players who are hurt, you know you have to kind of balance things and the likelihood of that actually occurring, uh, that AFC Championship game actually occurring, and, and they'd be less likely to play some on-the-margin injured player uh, in that Week 16 game. So I, I, hopefully the Ravens get some good news. The Chargers are a little bit less motivated, and that gives the the Ravens the opportunity to, to go into Week 16 and have a slightly better chance to win. All right. Um, anything else we need to worry about for strength of victory or pretty just, much? Just some minor strength of victory wins, and we'll go over this. The, the Ravens want Cincinnati to beat Oakland because that hurts Miami for strength of victory. Actually, the Ravens have beat each of those teams once, um, but Miami would lose out uh, in that, so that's the way we want that to work out. Cincinnati to beat Oakland. Want Green Bay to beat Chicago, because Miami lost to Green Bay, but they beat Chicago, so deny them a strength of victory point that way. Detroit to beat Buffalo. It hurts Miami more for strength of victory for Buffalo to get a loss, because they've beaten Buffalo twice this year, even though the Ravens have also beaten them. And frankly, so the Colts beating them. So if you're if you're looking at strength of victory, you want to understand why these NFC games might matter to the Ravens. That's why strength of victory is the reason, and and that's the way we want each right. of those to go. You're rooting for Cincinnati. You're rooting for the Packers. You're rooting for the Lions. All right. Um, I don't like to root for Cincinnati, so maybe I'll just ignore that game on Sunday. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get to the mailbag. Get in your questions on Twitter. Use the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. And you'll get your questions into us, and maybe you'll even get a film music mentor, as I saw someone jumped in with questions about film music in our <laughs> mailbag this weekend. So first question up is from Mr. Ed. Based on the O-line performance and contract situations, is it reasonable for the Ravens to draft a center and move Matt Skura to guard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's possible. I, I, I kind of like Matt where he is right now in terms of his play. He wasn't bad at guard last year either. Right. But, but it's working. But, uh, yeah, it's it's working. And, uh, you know, right now, they're going into camp next year, I mean, he's the incumbent at center. So they might draft a, a big-time center in, in an early round. I think it would kind of be a use of draft capital that would not be the wisest. I think they need a playmaker somewhere else more than they need another center. Um, and I think that, you know, if even if they drafted a lower round center, you know, players like Bozeman and, uh, you know, potentially somebody else could emerge as, as candidates. Nico Siragusa, one of the one of the other candidates to, to take over at center, obviously left for the Packers. Uh, some of the things that have happened to Lewis this year, I think, would make it less likely that he's competing for the center role next year, although he got some snaps there in camp. So it's certainly possible they'll draft another uh, center. They probably, depending on how many picks they have, will draft either one or two offensive linemen. Uh, it seems less likely they would draft a tackle um, after the uh, with Brown playing so well, uh, with Hurst still signed at this point, and with um, uh, um, Stanley obviously set for the next two years at a minimum. They have Greg Sanat coming off the uh, injured reserve next year. So I think they really want to 
see what he's got in terms of development. So, uh, yeah, it, it'll probably be an interior lineman drafted and, and where he that shakes out and who plays where. Uh, I think it's all up in the air. All right. Jalen gets in. Uh, Lamar Jackson seems to be thriving, throwing to tight ends over our wide receivers. Because of that, should we feature Andrews or use a two tight end set with a dominant running attack? Uh, or do we just keep things how they are since uh, Lamar's gone three and one in these four starts with the current game plan? Well, they are using a lot of two and three tight ends as it is. In fact, with Flacco on the field, they um, they didn't use nearly as much because they used three wide receivers on a lot of play. But just looking at my score sheet, I'm seeing four occasions where they use three tight ends in this game. That doesn't happen very often in the okay. NFL, by the way, folks. I mean, and another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13 times where they use two tight ends. All right, now, so that's, those, a, that's a third of the snaps then. Yeah. So you've got two or three out there. It sounds like almost that. Maybe maybe a quarter, between a, a quarter and a third, you're right. But, but in any case, that, what, the point I want to make is that uh, that is tight ends by position at the snap. So it's possible for a wide receiver like Snead who's in motion to be in a position where he's termed as a tight end at the snap. Okay. So it's, it doesn't quite mean what you what you think of it. I've been I've been toying with the idea of trying to record the roster position of the players who come onto the field because that's what the defensive coordinator has to adapt to in terms of putting his defensive package on. But I, I can't get it definitionally where I want it to be. So the only thing I've really been able to master so far is getting the um, the position at the snap. Uh, divide into one of 18 offensive formation groupings that include uh, wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs. So, they're, they're, yeah, I think it, if I if I built a new system from scratch, I'd really want to make sure that I captured who these players were individually, right. so so we could we could understand more about what the other team is reacting to. That makes sense. Uh, this team seems to be more dynamic with Lamar back there. Do we have the right offensive coaching staff for next season with Harbaugh, Marty, Roman, and others in order to continue to be more dynamic? Well, I guess I'd say from the standpoint of the running game, I don't know what you'd want more than what's what's been done by Lamar so far. And that is a function of how the game has been coached up. It's obviously also a function of some decisions he's making to carry the ball a little more. I'd like to see Lamar be the actual ball carrier less. In the system, so you know, the fact that he still had 17 carries in his fourth game concerns me a little bit. But uh, you know, as they move forward, you know, the point was made to me uh, that Michael Vick never had over 15 carries in a game his entire NFL yes. career. So I, I would think next year that's going to be one of the focus elements. Another is going to be that they're going to try and create more passing opportunities off a uh, read option fake. So we're going to see more uh, more opportunities to throw the ball out of out of what this year have been mostly running plays, and uh, you know we'll we'll see some differences, and I'm sure we'll see more of Lamar as a pure drop back passer next year as well. Uh, we may even see him turn the back on the defense for play action, you know, in the, in right. the in way that Flacco had been successful for many years. So anyway, I, I'd like I, I think they're going to vary the way they use Lamar last uh, last year, the next year. There are some obviously some constraints this year in terms of his learning the playbook and getting used to the system. And you know, he's shown amazing growth, but I, I still think they're 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 doing a lot of things to make it easy for him game by game right now. 
in terms of one word play calls we heard as yeah. being something. So, yeah, I, I I don't think I could I could honestly say whether or not I know that these coaches are the coaches capable of bringing Lamar on to the extent of what he's able to do. Right. I don't think anyone knows. And I think part of that might be John Harbaugh saying, hey, it's working. Let's keep doing this and see if we are the right guys for Lamar. Mm-hmm. Um, which also brings us to Marcus's question. And we'll close out with this. Do you think we could have an issue attracting free agent wide receivers with them knowing that the Ravens now with Lamar is a run first team and they won't necessarily put up great receiving stats? Well, it's a it's a legitimate point. Um, you know, the Ravens, first of all, they need to get off the free agent wide receiver treadmill. They need to get off it. And the only way you get off it is you draft you know, people who at least have the opportunity to be a number one receiver. Hey, we we I, did that. He's now a number one receiver in Cleveland. Yeah, he's having a, I don't know if you, people follow. 10, 10 for 15, this. right? 10 for 15, and he's got 18.8 yards per reception on 10 catches. Right. Of course, so, that's Perriman we're talking about. Yeah, so look, Josh's favorite player in the entire NFL figured out how to catch the ball. So uh, un- unfortunate that uh, that this is happening for a divisional rival. He's He he could certainly be a good player for them for a few years, and, uh, you know, we'll see how that works out. But uh, but in terms of, of getting back to the original question, in terms of what the Ravens need to do, they need to get off the – Get off the treadmill, draft some receivers that really have a chance to be number one receivers, and that means you got to really draft them in the first or second round. And it might mean you have to draft them in the first round if you're a uh, Ravens fan, and if you're if you're the Ravens because we our organization has not shown the greatest ability to either identify or develop wide receiving talent. And that being the case, it seems like you're less likely to miss in the first round. Uh, some of the some of the picks they've made, obviously, in recent years, particularly actually going back to the beginning of franchise history in rounds four, five, six, seven have not worked. Uh, I think that they've you know, you don't expect all those picks to work, but their hit rate on the defense is pretty good. Their hit rate on the offensive line is good. Um, their hit rate of wide receiver is terrible. And uh, it's, it's just something that, you know, just the team needs to figure out how to get better at. And I think there's an infrastructure change probably needed even before they figure out how to draft properly uh, to, to to get the right scouting personnel who are more adept at uh, differentiating between wide receiver skill sets and then to get the in-house coaching necessary to develop those guys to a higher level. All right. All right, Ken. Well, uh, we hung up with Matt Skura before we got out his Twitter handle, so I want everyone to go on to Twitter and follow at Matt underscore Skura 62. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, like his his tweet about the Pro Bowl and gotta go, retweet go, it. Go click on that. Go click on that link as I just did, and go vote for Skura for center. You can choose. Yeah. You can vote for four centers, which I find weird, but you can. So include Skura in your vote in, and and definitely hit Matt Skura up on Twitter and thank him for joining us tonight and sharing uh, his info with us, his knowledge. Ken, uh, what's on up over at Russell Street? All the usual stuff. So tiebreaker articles out for this week, the defensive article, the offensive article. Both of our podcasts will be up by the time people hear this, obviously. And uh, uh, exciting week after a, after a great game against the Chiefs. Can you follow me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens? Great discussion every day this time of year. Everybody's super excited about the playoff push. Love to hear from you. Love to discuss things. Tell them about Birdland Sports. Yeah, BirdlandSports.com. Uh, you can find this podcast, other podcasts, including my podcast, Section 336. Uh, it's baseball winter meetings time this week, so lots of baseball talk going on. 
And who knows, by next week we should have a manager. Or we might have a manager now, but we're not allowed to say we have a manager. <laughs> Something's going on there. That's only the way the Orioles can handle it is the way it's going down this week. So <laughs> we'll cover all of your Orioles stuff over on Section 336. All right. So. Sounds great, Josh. Look forward to uh, next week, and hopefully we'll have something great to discuss after the uh, the, the two games at 1 and 425 on Sunday. Yeah, either way, it'll be fun, and we'll get to see uh, more Lamar Jackson as the starter in Baltimore. Have a good night. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.